You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. So over the last um, few weeks, uh, one of the things that we've been able to do is our family has been able to go away on vacation and take some time just to recharge. Uh, and another thing is for me uh, as, as your pastor is to get some time to just prepare and plan for the rest of this year. And so over the last uh, month, really, I've been preparing and planning for um, the next teaching series and um, all the way through Christmas. And, and God has given me some just sweet recharge in my heart and my soul. And I'm so excited to share with you everything that God has been teaching me. But today we have a very special opportunity to hear from a guy who I consider a mentor, somebody who has been here before, we all know and love. Um, He oversees GCC, which is our our network of churches that we are partnering together with to plant churches and raise up healthy leaders. Um, So Reverend Dave Harvey is is a friend, a mentor, and he's going to be bringing the word today um, in our series, Unsearchable in the Psalms. So Dave, why don't you come on up? Let's hear it for Dave. Thank you, my friend. It's such an honor for me to, to return to be with you, particularly on a, on a baby dedication Sunday, and to be here and participate as Ian, or Ethan, I should say, is being dedicated to the Lord. I, I have to tell you, I, I just thank God that we live, that we live in the same town, and we share the same collective now. Uh, because I just have this deepening love relationship. This won't surprise you with Bill and, and Lauren and the opportunities that we have a chance to get together. I love, I love work coming here on Sunday morning at times and worshiping under Miguel and uh, getting to know AJ a little bit. I mean, you know, these have just been rich times for me. So thank you for receiving me so warmly. Just uh, one other thing that Bill felt was worth mentioning. Typically, when I come, I I give an update on Great Commission Collective, the collective that we're all a part of. But this morning, I'm going to go in a a different direction. Because a few years ago, I started a a website, which is at at revdaveharvey.com. And as, as part of that endeavor, I mention that because as part of that endeavor, I launched a blog about four months ago, which is called Tenacious Tuesdays. And, and I launched this to incite and inspire ambition for God's glory. And I, I did that particularly because as I'm looking out over what's taking place in the culture, looking out over what's taking place in the church, um, I, I have some concerns. I mean, I, mean, I think the the, the pandemic, the election, the civil unrest, the last three years, there's a way that it has attacked our optimism and it has attacked our hope. And this is particularly for leaders, but it goes beyond leaders. And, and I'm just encountering, and tell me if you see this as well, people are more ambivalent. Folks are more cynical. There, there's a kind of stagnation, which, which I interpret as a loss of dreams or a diminishing of, of dreams. And, and there's a sense where the, the organ of ambition is, is, is growing sick. 
And, uh, and that's kind of just on the cultural side. There's a whole other thing going on on the church side. On, on the church side, we, we've never known what to do with ambition. You know, our, our vision of humility basically makes ambition seem slimy. It, it does, doesn't it? It makes ambition seem slimy. And so we kind of have this idea that we need, we need to create this modesty that aspires to nothing. Oh, look how humble he is. He just sits on the couch and prays to God and does nothing. And so we don't, as a church, we don't know what to do with ambition. And so anyway, I wanted to write about that. I wanted to think about that. I wanted to help others think about that as well. So if that in any way speaks to you, um, there's a devotional that will be delivered into your inbox every Tuesday morning if you want to subscribe at at revdaveharvey.com. Okay, thank you. So, um, far more important than any website is the Word of God. So, I want to invite you to open with me to Psalm 63 as I make this morning what I hope will be a contribution into your summer psalm series. I'd like to read the entire psalm to you, but we're actually only going to focus on the first eight verses in a message that is titled, The Empty Soul. The Empty Soul. Verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and in my mouth I will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate upon you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword, and they shall be a portion for jackals. But the king, the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt for the mouth of liars will be stopped. The empty soul. Let's pray. Lord, this, this passage is so potent, so meaningful. And I pray this morning that you would help us all by the power of your Holy Spirit to grasp it and that you, through your unique work within us, would apply it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. When was the last time you felt hollow, vacant, like all the spiritual life had just been sucked right out of your body? I mean, maybe you woke up that way this morning. Maybe, maybe life right now is exacting some kind of toll upon you because you arrived here this morning and you feel empty. You feel emotionally parched. You are thirsting for relief but finding none. In Psalm 63, we discover... David, the great Old Testament king, David. We discovered David could relate to that experience. Because before us is this hymn composed by David during a time of great duress, during a time where his heart felt so empty he could barely find his way forward. And you know what? As we learn the story, <laughs> the, the facts are not pretty. For instance, fact. Absalom, that's David's son, Absalom has stolen the heart of the people through an act of betrayal, and he's had himself declared king. Fact. The son was now trying to kill the father. Fact. David is set adrift. David is running for his life. David is disoriented and distraught and doesn't know what to make of all of that. In fact, if we were to look at 2 Samuel chapter 15, it says that David's entourage, quote, passed through the Kidron Valley as he was fleeing, passed through the Kidron Valley and moved on toward the desert and in that barren land, David's heart crashes. In fact, in fact that, that land kind of mirrors the state of David's soul because David feels lost, he feels weak, he feels dry, he feels spiritually empty. I mean, some people say there are few blows that crush the soul like the betrayal from one's family member. That's what this guy is going through. They say it, it, it sucks life and vigor from the soul as you, as you kind of mourn the death of what our family might have been, what our family should have been. Some of you can relate to that here this morning. So that's where David is. And in that hour of darkness, David, what does he do? He composes a song. He composes a song that embodies how he will respond in the state in which he inhabits. And as we study this together, there is one, I believe, overarching theme that begins to emerge. And this is the way I want to summarize this overarching theme. This is, this is how I want to do it. Empty is as empty does. Empty is as empty does. 
Now, that phrase is probably going to hit you in one of two ways. Either you're going to be sitting there saying, uh, what? What are you talking about? What are you up there babbling about? Bill, doesn't anybody vet anybody when they speak here? What is he talking about up there? Or you're going to say, you know, that actually sounds like that Forrest Gump thing that that Forrest's mom said, because remember in that scene in the movie, Forrest felt stupid and he was convinced he was stupid. And, and so Forrest's mom said to him one day, and I, I can't do justice to a, to a Southern accent, but she said something like, Forrest, stupid is as stupid does, meaning that true intelligence is found in actions, not in labels. The true intelligence is revealed in what we do, not necessarily in how we feel about ourselves in any given season. So, empty is as empty does means that sometimes desires are reclaimed first by actions, not by feelings. That desires are sometimes restored first by what we do, not first by changing how we feel. Now, that might be a strange idea. But what I want to do with you is I want to look together at what David did when he was in this state so that we can discover together what we should do if we're in this state or when we move into this state sometime in the future. So, real quick, what should we do when we feel empty? And what I want to give you is three, I'm calling them desert postures, three postures of heart that we should maintain when we find ourselves inhabiting the desert. Number one, look up. Look up. So David's in the desert of Judah. He's being hunted by his son Absalom. He is weary and famished. He's feeling desperate and unusual. What is David's first step? This is where he starts. Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as a dry and weary land where there is no water. Do you see what David's doing here? David begins by reasserting God's role in his life. Oh, God, okay, Lord, this is hard. This is empty. I feel empty. I feel weak. I don't know what's going on. Oh, God, you are my God. You know, sometimes in life, you just got to kind of hit reset and go back to kindergarten. Sometimes you just got to go back to where this whole thing started and say, you know, I have no idea what's going on in the present. I'm totally disillusioned, totally disoriented. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to remember where this started. Oh, God, let me just nail this down. Let me reinforce this in my own mind. You are my God. I don't see you. I don't feel you. I'm not experiencing you. This seems to define logic. This seems to def certainly defies all of the circumstances that I'm living in, but I'm going to say it anyway. You are my God. I love what John Calvin says about this passage. He says, quote, David does more than simply pray. He sets the Lord before him as his God. Sometimes, sometimes we got to do that. You know, he does more than pray. He sets the Lord before him. 
It's like David saying, I know who owns me. I know the one I follow. Empty may be my feeling toward God, but empty is not God's feeling toward me. You are my God. See, one of the astonishing realities that we experience each and every day as a Christian is that God fixed a new reality for us as a result of what Christ has accomplished. One that exists apart from our feelings and apart from our circumstances. Now, let me be clear. It's not that we deny our feelings because emotions reflect a reality that we are created in God's image, and they are important. So we don't deny them. We just don't grant feelings supremacy in defining reality. We don't grant feelings supremacy in defining reality. And this is a really important thing for us to wrap our brain around in the day in which we live with all that's going on because the truth of the day in which we live is that feelings have become to most people what the Bible is to the Christian. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Feelings have become to most people what the Bible is to the Christian. You know, for most people, feelings are what, what your Bible is to you. Feelings are a source of authority. Feelings are a moral compass. Feelings are that which informs our conscience and determines our direction. Everything the Bible is supposed to be to a Christian, that is what feelings are to the culture. Feelings can overrule biology. I'm a man trapped in a woman's body. Feelings can overrule covenants we make with each other. I know I said I loved him. I know I said I loved her, but we're four years into this marriage, and it's just not working. Feelings can overrule almost everything in our life. And here's the thing. The good news is the gospel, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus liberates us from the tyranny of our feeling because the cross establishes and fixes this new reality in our life. And the new reality is that we are loved by God. We are adopted into the family of God. We have been filled by the Holy Spirit, which is an objective reality that never changes and exists even though we don't feel it. In other words, yes, there are days we wake up, there are seasons we live through where we may feel empty, but God is always full towards us. We may feel empty, but verse 1, oh God, you are my God. See, da David looks up, and, 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 and part of what we have to infer by this idea of David looking up is that is that David makes God the answer to empty. God is the answer to empty. And, and this is really important because when our desires feel empty, our heart often reaches for what's most available or what's most comfortable. I mean, we basically alter verse 1 to say, Oh, Job, you are my God. Oh, media, you are, or oh, Facebook, you are my, and, and it's maybe not even things that you might consider bad. It could be good things. Oh, marriage, you are my God. Oh, 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 church, good things. 
but elevated to the wrong place. You are my God. No, David says, God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. My body longs for you. I love Kidner's commentary. He said, David's whole being is restless and unsatisfied without God. You know why? Because David knows something we often miss. And that is that lost desires can only be found in God. So what does David do? David looks up. David looks up. Can you relate to David this morning? And I don't know what that might be for you. You, you feel chased. You feel harassed. You feel betrayed. You... You feel empty. Or maybe just stuck. You know the feeling of being stuck? Like, I'm, I'm just stuck in this place. I'm stuck in this house. I'm stuck in this job. I'm, I'm stuck here. And, and maybe, maybe you're stuck. Here's another way to think about it. Maybe you feel stuck because you can't stop blaming Absalom. Now, again, in the story, Absalom is this person that has betrayed David. But Absalom is not just a person. Absalom is this unexpected thing that happens that diverts our life from the wonderful path that we think we were on. You know, for David, it was being king and the interruption of Absalom comes in. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's that unexpected diagnosis that's come in or, 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 or the betrayal of a friend is now just invading your thought world all the time. Or maybe just this past month there's been some kind of unexpected or, or shocking news or, or surprise pregnancy. I didn't ever thought this would happen again and yet there, you know, there it is. I mean, this is, you know, can affect everyone. It's the, it's the shifting economy. It's, it's being sinned against by other people. The, the, but the overall effect is it delivers us into the desert. Absalom delivers us into the desert. And in that desert, we feel stuck. We feel dry. We feel like we are in this barren land where there is pain and there is the absence of the presence of God. God seems distant. And yet the reality is part of looking up is recognizing that sometimes God empties us. And I don't completely understand this, but I know this to be true. Sometimes God empties us to reestablish his role in our life. To take us back to verse 1 and remind us, hey, who is God here? Can we get this right? We're going to go back and we're going to relearn this. I am God. I want you to say that out loud. See, sometimes God empties us to reestablish his role in our life. David's words here signify that he is resolving something. He's resolving that God is not acting randomly here. God's not acting punitively here. That God has a, a good plan, a good plan for him. And that it's not first about how David feels in the moment. It's about how God feels about David in the moment. So, if you woke up this morning feeling empty, let me encourage you to follow David's path and look up. Because empty is as empty does. So, look up.
Point number two. Look back. Look back. Look at verse two. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. Do you see what David's doing here? It's like David is, is hearkening back. He, he's recalling these times when he was satisfied in God. It's kind of like he's saying, let me just go back to these other times in church. Oh, yeah, okay, I remember. I remember when my desires were filled. I remember those experiences of power that I had in the sanctuary. I remember encountering your love in verse 3. And it's funny, he continues to do this throughout the passage. So in verse 6, he speaks of remembering God in his bed. He speaks about meditating back on the faithfulness of God. In verse 7, he's thinking back upon times where God has been tangible. He literally says, you have been my help in the past. You have been my help. See, don't miss what's happening here. David's soul may feel empty, but his mind is full because he is intentionally remembering back to times where God was alive and real to him. I say, here, here's the most striking facet of this proposition of empty is as empty does. And that is that David may feel empty, but he decides to fill his mind. David's emotions and feelings may feel empty, but his response is to fill his mind with the past. In other words, to respond to empty the way he lived when he was full. To respond to empty the way he lived when he was filled, when he was satisfied. That's why he, he basically says, I, I will worship God in verse 4. He says, I will praise you. I will lift my hands. My soul will be satisfied. He, he doesn't repeat it. My lips will praise you. I will sing for all these will statements. I will sing for joy, he says. You see what's happening here? David's going back because it takes him back to these experiences of love that he had, these experiences of the faithfulness of God, verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life. He's back to these experiences. It's almost like what David does is he, he takes a set of jumper cables. You know how jumper cable, you, you know, your battery's dead. You got to jump the battery of a car. He takes these jumper cables and he sends them back into the past. He hooks them to the past, those times where he encountered God, those times where God was real, and he hooks them up and he starts throwing a charge into the present. He starts throwing the charge back into his present experience. He's saying, yeah, I don't feel it right now, so I'm going to hook up to the past, and I'm going to experience the charge in the present. So what does he do? He goes back to God's love. He goes back to God's faithfulness, which what does that do? It triggers this response of wanting to worship. See, this isn't just flowery language. This is a strategy that David is employing in a moment where he feels empty. And this is something that we have to process together. You know, there's a lot of people right now that are abandoning the church because their feelings about the church have, have changed. 
And, 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 and part of what I want to do, one of the ways I want to pastor them is just say, listen, I get it. I get it. But before you go, look back. Before you go, hook up the jumper cables and, and take a season and let it throw some charges forward and see what that does within your soul. And don't simply respond to the emotions of the moment. You know, the great evangelist, John Wesley, has this quote. I love this quote. He, he, he once said, Preach faith until you have it, and then preach faith because you have it. Preach faith until you have it, and then preach faith because you have it. See, David has taken a similar approach. He's praising God until he is filled, and then he's praising God because he is filled. But this is important. David worships not because his emotions are full, but because he remembers that God is real. Not because he is experiencing and encountering God in the moment, but because he remembers that has been his experience in the past. And so he goes back, and going back helps him to charge his soul. It's like he's saying, yeah, I may be empty, but worship will fill me. Worship will invite God to fill me. And I love the visuals that he uses here. I mean, like, like verse 5, he says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat, fat and rich food. I, I love fat and rich food. I mean, you could probably tell that about me. You're like, yeah, well, no. I mean, we, we look at you. Yeah, their fat and rich food is all over you. And, and I don't mind. I don't mind that. I'm going to have lunch today. I'm going out with Bill and AJ. I'm going to go to a restaurant. I'm going to say, what do you got in fat and rich food? <laughs> and I'm going to say, okay, I'll take double, you know? Okay, whatever that means for you. Like, like think Christmas dinner. Think, think your birthday. Think about holiday. Think about feasting. See, what David is saying is, I remember what it's like to be full. I remember what it's like to be satisfied, and I will enjoy that again. I will enjoy that again. Listen, are you empty this morning? Are you empty today? Let me encourage you. Look back. Look back. And then preach faith until you have it, and preach faith because you have it. Love others until you feel it, and then love others because you feel it. Give until you receive blessing, and then give because you receive blessing. Look back. Which leads us finally to going loud. So it's look up, look back, go loud. Go loud is the last point. Uh, scripture reveals many of David's faults, but among them is never an absence of passion or at least a willingness to express passion towards God. And, and part of what I'm trying to say is that God's answer for empty, quote-unquote, is, is not this morbid introspection where we need to put on the scuba gear 
and go diving into the depths of the human heart and explore every crevice as if that knowledge and that awareness is going to unlock something about ourselves. See, for David, it just seems like he takes some things about God and he begins to respond to God and his response is like this whole body response to the truth of who God is and what he's accomplished. I mean, if you just read this psalm for the physical responses alone, it, it's pretty, pretty my, verse three, my lips will praise you. Verse four, in, my, in your name, I will lift up my hands. Verse five, my mouth will praise you. I will sing for joy in verse seven, on and on and on it goes. It's like for David, feeling empty calls for this kind of, this kind of paradox. You know, a, a paradox is what? It's, it's like an apparent contradiction. It's not a contradiction, it's an apparent contradiction. So a, after looking back, David begins to respond to God with these kind of, let's call them strong, truth-based affections that are going upward to God in passion for God. David gets loud, and he gets loud with God, and he, and he just seems to be doing it. Again, he doesn't necessarily feel it. He's not embodying it, but, but he seems to be doing it with all of his heart and soul and mind and strength. David gets passionate even as he's empty. Now, I, I want to tell you right up front, you, you got to know how odd this is coming from me, of all people. If, you, if Kim were up here on stage... She would just say, yeah, my, my husband's not the, not the passionate sort. And I've always envied people who were like that. I think Bill's like that a little bit more. I, I envy people who are like that because passion has never come easy for me. I mean, I, I was raised a Presbyterian, okay? I was raised a Presbyterian. I was raised in Pittsburgh. Um, my family, my mom's side is Dutch. And I don't mean like the jovial beer drinking kind of Dutch. I mean the kind that wake up with to-do lists in their pocket every morning. That's the kind of Dutch we were. And then my dad, steel worker, his dad was a steel worker. My dad was a, was a military guy. I, I might have seen my dad cry once. And that was 1972, Frank O'Harris picks the immaculate reception and the Steelers win the playoff over Oakland Raiders. That means nothing to some of you, but that was a life to, there were steel workers all over Pittsburgh crying that day. Men that had never shed a tear in their life were breaking down in front of their spouses. Kids were saying to their mom, what's wrong with dad? And well, it's about the Steelers. See, none of that means anything to a lot of you, but that's, that's the kind of pent up emotions you know, guys in my neighborhood were not getting in touch with their feelings, okay? And, and when they did, only four-letter words were used to, to give voice to them. <laughs> I, I, honestly, there's part of me that makes, makes me want to think, okay, how can I actually convey to them how, how wrapped up, how tightly wound we Okay, here, so, so on my wedding day, my, my brother and I are standing in the basement of the church where I'm going to be married. It's about 20 minutes before the service. We both have our tuxes on. We're just standing there. Neither one of us are talking because that's what brothers do. You, take, you put them in big moments and they just stand there saying nothing. 
I immediately, for some moment, for some reason, feel this wave of emotion, and I begin to weep. That weeping lasts about 15 seconds. I stop. My brother's looking at me. I look at him. He says, what was that? And I say to him, I have no idea what that was. I say, I, I think it might have something to do with, you know, this, this wedding thing that's happening in 15 or 20 minutes, but I'm not quite sure exactly what it is because I had never done that. That was my family. We weren't, in a, we, we weren't emotional, we were analytical. We weren't emotional, we were doers. We were not inclined to explore our feelings. We just wanted to get things done. And again, Presbyterian. So I grew up in a church that unless there was a robbery, nobody was putting their hands in the air. Okay? So here's a reality. Here's a reality that I had to come to grips with when I'm wired that way. Here's the reality, is that when one reads Scripture, strong affections, going loud, strong affections are a claim my master makes upon me even when I'm empty. Why? Because worship is, has never been merely the expression of present feeling. It was never intended to be the expression of present feeling toward God. It is a response to past truth, a response to past truth, and a response to future grace. And sometimes our feelings sync with that in the present. Sometimes it doesn't. I mean, just think about your marriage. You know, I don't, I, I don't take Kim out on a date and debate whether I should express affections for her. I don't examine my preferences. I don't think about, well, okay, how was I raised? I was kind of wrapped up, wrapped up. I'm not sure I need to express affections because I was raised this way. I don't think, how did I score on Myers-Briggs? What's my Enneagram number? Does that loan me? Does that loan me or incline me to want to express affections to my wife? No. It's the marriage that calls forth affections. It's the marriage that sanctions the affections, not my personality. It's the marriage. And yeah, sometimes in marriage, you know, you, you can feel empty, but that doesn't make you less married. That doesn't make you less loved within the marriage. Do, do you see what's happening here? Do you see where David is going? <clears throat> We are passionate about God, not because of how we feel, but because of our relationship with Christ and what he's accomplished for us already upon the cross. It's not because of how we're wired, but because of what he has done for us. Because God was satisfied by Christ at the cross, we can be satisfied in God even when we feel empty. Because God was satisfied by Christ at the cross, we can be satisfied with God even when we're empty. And it's because of the cross we understand. We actually understand what verse 3 means because your steadfast love is better than life. That's why I'm going to worship. My lips will praise you. Why? Because your steadfast, unfixable, unflappable love never changes for me. Therefore, I'm going to respond to it. Now, maybe you're here this morning, you're saying, Dave, you, you, you really don't get it. You see, the, the doctor just called, and it was, it was not the news we were expected. 
or, or, or Dave, the, the depression. I mean, do you understand the depression? It's the depression that's unrelenting. You talk about the unrelentingness of God. The, the depression, how I wake up every morning just feeling flat, feeling like the most courageous thing I do each day is to just get out of bed. I just feel too strong. I just feel too weak. I just feel too empty. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Empty is as empty does. And it seems like David's approach goes something like this. He, he says, I'm going to praise God until I'm filled, and then I'm going to praise God because I'm filled. I'm going to praise God until I'm moved, and then I'm going to praise God because I'm moved. I'm going to praise God until I feel it, and then I'm going to praise God because I feel it. I'm going to praise God until I'm satisfied, and then I'm going to praise God because I'm satisfied. David goes loud. And, and there are times where we must do the same. Perhaps today is a time where you must do the same. So if you're here this morning and you are not satisfied with your passion or you are not passionate about being satisfied, let us together draw near to God and ask God to stir up our affections and to satisfy our quest for satisfaction, and to help us to lift our voices with a new awareness that though we may feel empty, God is still worthy. Though we may feel empty, God is still worthy, and He is willing to fill us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much for what You accomplished for us by dying on the cross and rising on the third day, and with that giving us a hope and a confidence of a future that is indescribable, a future that drops into this life from time to time and energizes us and catalyzes us and sometimes feels very distant and untouchable. Lord, regardless of where we are this morning, we pray you would help us to respond to you because of what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.